Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress. Good morning. Just a little bit of a recap. We're doing uh, doing a series on the New Covenant. And um, New Covenant is different from the Old Covenant. God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. And so far, what we've talked about are some amazing promises given to us and amazing realities given to us in the New Covenant. About four or five weeks ago, um, this started off um, talking about this um, power of the New Covenant, which is... Uh, we're not we're not to live under the law, but we are given the Holy Spirit whereby we can live. Then a few weeks back, we uh, I preached a message on forgiveness, the forgiveness of the new covenant, which is full and free and forever. Okay, it doesn't go away. We receive forgiveness once for all through Jesus, and it's not taken away. Uh, then last week, Reed preached on um, uh, sonship. We have received. Sonship. We have been given the title of sons or children of God. And with all these amazing promises, we might be tempted to say, wow, this is amazing. And I think I'm just going to sail off into the sunset now. Okay. I'm just going to kind of sit back and coast because these promises are so sweet. Let's just sail off into the sunset. But of course, Monday comes around. Okay. And we're not we're not led into worship by these amazing worship leaders up here. And life hits us in the face and we realize there's no coasting, right? Or if we coast, we're usually going the wrong direction. And so we realize that there is a battle. There is a fight that all of us are involved in. And this morning I want to talk about the, uh, being transformed by the Holy Spirit, which in essence is a fight. It is a battle. It's a battle day in and day out. You and I are being conformed to something. Everyone, even the most nonconformist person out there who thinks they're nonconformist, they're conforming to something. You and I are all conforming. We are either being conformed to the world or to Christ. There's only two options. There is no third option. You will either conform to Jesus or you will conform to the world. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You and I oftentimes think, we think thoughts like this, and there's some truth in it, but can often be misplaced. We think to err is human. We all make mistakes. We're born fallen. We all sin, etc., etc. But oftentimes this doesn't take into account that Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ has risen again, and through faith in Jesus, we are placed in him and made new creatures in him. Jesus Christ is the new humanity. Jesus in himself created a whole new human race. Those who are saved by his blood and dwelt by his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit comes and lives in them, and then they are now disciples of his, following after him. Romans chapter 8 says this, God's purpose for you and I is to be conformed to the image of Christ. His purpose for you and for me is to look more and more like Jesus as we go through life. Romans 8 says this, He has predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son 
in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, God, before the foundation of the world, had you and I in mind. You believe in Christ, he had you and I in mind. And his purpose for us from before the foundation of the world is that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And therefore, you and I are commanded to both submit and joyfully participate with God in this act or this work of being transformed. So going back to what I said just a few minutes ago, it's not whether but which. It's not whether we will be conformed. It's to which pattern will we be conformed? To the pattern of this world or to the pattern of Jesus Christ? There's no neutral ground. There's no other alternative. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. A little different context, but same principle. We're either for him, we're either, we're either growing in likeness to Christ, or we are growing in likeness to the pattern of this world. So, how does God take us, you and me, forgiven fully and freely and forever, now sons of God, sons and daughters of God, given the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. How does he take you and me, no longer living under the law, right? No longer external coercion, but now living in the new life of the Spirit. How does he take you and I and transform us? How does God transform Christians and make them progressively more like Jesus? That's what Galatians 5 shows us. That's what this passage tells us. This is a very well-known passage. Obviously, it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. If you've been in church for any length of time, you probably at least have heard of that phrase. And so here we see how God takes Christians, forgiven, new covenant Christians. Do you, you, you know that there's only one kind of Christian, right? New covenant Christian. Okay. How does he take Christians and make them more like Christ? This shows us. So how does God transform us? Paul tells us using an incredible metaphor, a metaphor of fruit and a tree, tree and a fruit. So how does God change us? First, First, we need to see that transformation, God's transforming work is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is something the Holy Spirit is doing. It's something that he does. When a young man works and works hard and labors to make the basketball team, you can rightly say that he is receiving the fruit of his hard work. When a young woman is practicing her dance routines over and over and over again for the performance coming up, and she does well, you can say rightly say that she is receiving the fruit of her hard work. When a student works hard to make the dean's list and they make it, you can say that is the fruit of hard work. But being transformed into the image of Christ is so much more than a matter of you and I making right decisions or changing certain habits. It is a divine work of God. It is a divine work of God, the Holy Spirit. You and I embodying love is a work of God, isn't it? I mean, you and I, born sinful, then forgiven, we realize, don't we, that it's not that everything changes all at once, but God begins working on us. And that work of making you and I 
more loving is a miracle of God. The work of God making you and I actually joyful. Not because everything is going well in our lives. We know better than that. But because of the work of his spirit, that is a miracle. The work of God making us, giving us peace. I mean, true peace, real peace. And then making us peacemakers. That's a miracle. The work of God making us self-controlled people, people who know how to control our appetites, both external and internal. That is a work of God. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. So we see transformation. The way God transforms is by the power of his Holy Spirit. There are a lot of things that are claim that that are um, a lot of things. A lot of people say that certain things are evidences of the Holy Spirit, sometimes really goofy things. Paul gives us very clear things here. Here's how we know. God transforms unloving people and makes them loving. God transforms grumpy ingrates and makes them joyful. God transforms people who are, tend to be fighters and go to blows with others, at least verbally, and makes them peacemakers. God takes people who are massively impatient and fly off the handle easily, road rage type folks, and makes them patient. It's a work of God's spirit. Transform, trans, transformation, God's transforming work in our lives is a fruit of the spirit. Here's another thing. Transformation, God's way, is from the inside out. And this goes back to what was talked about several weeks ago now, that we are not under the law, but we're given the new life of the Holy Spirit. And so it, the Holy Spirit works in us and works on the inside and then produces things that then come out of us. Transformation grows organically. It will not grow and cannot grow by external coercion. We can't make lists of things to do, right? Now, it might be a good list. One thing that might be good to say is make a list of God help me be a loving person today, but we can't just say love more today. That is external and coercive and it won't work. We will be discouraged and beat up at the end of the day because we fail. Remember, the law of God has now been written for new covenant believers on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Remember that salvation is a gracious act of God where he takes dead, sinful people and makes them alive together with Christ. And therefore, transformation is an outgrowth of that. Transformation isn't is from the inside out. It works inside and then works. It starts inside and then works out. Also, transformation is incremental. I love the picture here in Galatians 5 of fruit. Transformation is incremental. And everyone can breathe a sigh of relief. Oh, wow, thankfully. I didn't need to be perfect the first week or the first year I was called to be a Christian. It's incremental, sometimes painfully slow and incremental but it is a sure work of God. If you had an apple tree and three days into the spring, you went out to see if there were any apples and there weren't, would you be tempted to cut the tree down? Don't nod your head, please. (laughs) It's not a trick question. No, we wouldn't, would we? We know that fruit grows over time. We know that by the end of the season, if the tree is healthy, there will be apples there. 
And if we go out day after day after day after day for 90 days, and we don't see anything with our physical eyes, right? We're not going to be discouraged. Now, three years down the road, we might be. But not after three days or 90 days. Because we don't see with our physical eyes fruit grow on a tree. And in a similar way, sometimes growth in our lives is slow and incremental. Well, it's always incremental. Sometimes slow and incremental. And we might be tempted to be discouraged. But if you could see the course of your life over a year or five years or a decade. And like a, if you could see like a, like a, a graph and the, the trajectory going up. Right? Over the course of a decade or three decades, for those of you who have been following Christ for a long time, it would be encouraging and we would see, yes, God has been and is at work changing me, transforming me into the likeness of Christ. Transformation comes like fruit and not fruits. One thing that I think is often misunderstood is that we view the fruit of the Holy Spirit as like a checklist of things that we may have or may not. Like I got the fruit of love, but I didn't get the fruit of peace. Or I, got, I, I didn't get the fruit of love. That's why I'm behaving the way I'm behaving right now. Right? But it comes like a cluster of fruit. Think of like a cluster of grapes or a bowl of fruit. When the Holy Spirit comes to transform us, he's bringing all that he has to change all of us into the full, into the likeness of all of Jesus. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is not like a checklist to work through, but the unified blossom of a heart liberated by the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit applies the grace of God to our lives. So don't say something like, I didn't get that, but I do have this fruit because he's come to bring it all and to change us to be more and more like Christ. And finally, how does God change us? How does he transform us? When God transforms us, we see from this text, it is evident, it is clear, it is obvious. In verse 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. And then it goes through a list, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It's like Paul just got to the end of the set and, and lots of other things like this. And then it says right after that, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit just like the works of the flesh are evident and they're obvious. They're obvious for all to see. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is also evident in the life of those that God the Holy Spirit is working in. Love becomes manifest. Joy is seen and known. Peace can be experienced by others. Patience, my children, hopefully, can tell that I'm becoming more patient. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control. These things will be obvious to us and to others. Fruit doesn't make a tree alive, but it does give evidence that the, that the tree has life. Let me say that again. Fruit doesn't make the tree alive, but it is clear and unmistakable evidence that the tree is alive. And so when we have love growing off us like a healthy tree, it gives evidence that we are alive. There's evidence to it. It is evident. Jesus said in in Luke chapter 6, you will know a tree by its fruit. The fruit will show by the way that we live. Some want to be let off the hook by saying something like this. Well, God knows my heart. He knows what's really going on inside, even if others can't see it. Of course, God does know our heart. He he sees our heart. He sees everything. But this cannot be a cop out. The Holy Spirit wants your heart for sure. But he also wants your head and he wants your hands and he wants your feet and he wants your mouth and he wants your stomach and he wants your job and he wants your family and he wants the time around the dinner table and he wants the time you're sitting in front of the TV watching the tube. He wants all of it. He wants all of it. He wants it to be evident what kind of tree you are in all of your life. You realize that? Don't, it cannot just affect our singing of worship songs on Sunday morning. It can't. That doesn't bear witness of what kind of tree we actually are. When you're talking to your spouse, Holy Spirit wants it to be evident that he is at work in you. When you're watching the Super Bowl, he wants it to be evident. When you, the way that you love your neighbor He wants it to be evident. The way that you love your spouse, he wants it to be evident. The way that we live is telling people what kind of tree we are. The way that we love, the way that we, the things we rejoice in, the things that we show passion about, whether we have peace in the midst of a very chaotic world, the way that we respond with patience or not, if we're kind or mean and rude, if we're good or if we kind of rejoice in things that are evil, it shows what kind of tree we are. Of course, we're all in process. But Paul says here very clearly in in Galatians 5, he says, when he talks about the works of the flesh, he says those who do these things, and it's talking about the continuous present act of doing so continues to live this way those who live in these kinds of ways will not inherit the kingdom of god the way that we live shows what kind of tree we are which is why jesus says using a different metaphor but i think the same exact principle to his disciples in matthew 5 let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works so that they will see Jesus is the light of the world. He's come to make us home in us by his Holy Spirit. And he says, now you, the light of the world, go shine your light so that others can see the things that you do and honor your father and glorify him. This is what God is up to. 
He wants to transform us by his Holy Spirit, working all of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love all the way through self-control. And I don't think this is an exhaustive list, probably. So love through self-control and all the other things the Holy Spirit wants to bring into our lives. This is what, how God changes us. And he wants it to be evident in our lives. So let me ask you a question. Is there anything that you and I do? Is there anything we do? I mean, all, up until now, all I've talked about is what, really what God does. Is there anything that we do? Now, some would say no. Some would say, well, tree, or fruit doesn't do anything to grow. It just happens. It just, apples grow. It's not like apples are trying to grow on a tree, right? Of course, that's true. But in response to that, I would say that this analogy and probably almost every analogy in the Bible should never be taken out to the edges of the universe and applied that way. It has its limitations, like every, every metaphor does. But our text does give us a couple of hints of how you and I should respond to this of how we should cooperate and participate with God in his transforming work. At the beginning of our passage, it says, Now walk by the Spirit. Verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Later on, down at the bottom, um, verse 24, it says, um, actually, verse 25, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So when Paul says, walk by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, I think he's talking about the same thing. I don't think he has anything different in mind between those two phrases. If we have life by the Holy Spirit, let's also keep in step with him. So that gives us one clue. And then here's another hint or clue. Verse 17 says that the flesh and the spirit are opposed to each other. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, so that you don't do the things you want to do. The New, Amer- or New International Version, NIV, says, it actually says that they're in conflict with each other. In the life of the Christian, there is a conflict between the Holy Spirit of God, God himself, the Holy Spirit, and the flesh. Not skin flesh, but the flesh as in the sinful nature. So there's this conflict going on right now in the life of the believer. The spirit opposing the flesh, the flesh opposing the spirit, so that we don't do the things we want to do. So we are called, I think, put these things together, walk by the Spirit. The Spirit opposes the flesh. The way that we participate with God is that we engage in the battle that is going on inside of us by His Holy Spirit. There is a battle. There is a conflict. And if you and I are not engaged in the fight, more than likely, we have just capitulated to the flesh. We've just kind of given in to the flesh and all of the sinful desires of our sinful nature. Of course, this is dangerous. Paul says those who live that way will be eternally lost. But we are called by the Holy Spirit. We are called to walk with the Holy Spirit by engaging in the conflict. And as we engage in this conflict, 
fruit grows on this tree that we're growing up to be. So the way that we keep in step with the Holy Spirit is by fighting. It's by fighting. It's by engaging in the battle. Remember at the very beginning I said, we are in a battle. We will conform to something. If we want to just hands off and coast, we will conform to the world. We want to be conformed to the image of Christ, right? Because we're Christians. We want to be like Jesus, don't we? I didn't get much of a response there. Let me say it again. We want to be like Jesus, don't we? Okay, so we don't want to be conformed to the world. We want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so the way we do that is we walk with the Holy Spirit, which means we engage in the conflict. We put up a fight. We battle against the flesh that battles against our souls. This is how transformation happens. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8, which I think is a very key passage and very similar to this passage. Romans 8, I think it's verse 13. He says, if by the spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh, we will truly live. So we engage in the conflict. This is how transformation happens. Many people, I think, in the recesses of their own heart are discouraged. Even over years and decades at little to no growth. And it shouldn't be that way. It really shouldn't be. Shouldn't be that way. If there was a three-year-old toddler, his name is Tommy. I don't think anyone's name is Tommy here, so I'm not picking on you, okay? And Tommy, he's a toddler. He's a cute little toddler, but he is a naughty little boy. Okay? And then Tommy's five, and he's still acting like three-year-old Tommy. And then Tommy's 10, and he's still acting like toddler Tommy. At 10, you're like, okay, something's wrong with Tommy. We need to help him grow up, right? And then Tommy is 20, and he's still acting like a toddler. And Tommy's 30, and he's still acting like a three-year-old. At 30, we think, okay, something, something's wrong here. Unfortunately, in the church, we allow perpetual toddler states to happen. And we shouldn't. We want to be like Christ. So how do we engage in this fight? How do we, how do we fight with the Spirit's strength so that we are conformed to the image of Christ? So at the, at the end of a year, at the end of five years, both we and our spouses and others would say, my goodness, such amazing growth in your life. God is at work. That's amazing. It's beautiful. Nothing less than a divine work of God in your life. Let's go for that. So how do we keep, so we keep in step with the Spirit by fighting. That's how the Holy Spirit produces fruit in us. How do we do this? Here's six things. I'm going to get through, go through these fairly quick. But six things. How do we fight this battle? So that, you might say, we set the Holy Spirit to working powerfully in our lives to transform us into the image of Christ. Number one, very basic. Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. Or read your Bible. For those who have been Christians for some time and disregard their Bible, I say this. Don't do it for another week. Don't do it for another day. Okay? How did Jesus fight the devil in the wilderness? 
by speaking the word. Right? The devil came and tempted him three different times. Jesus quoted scripture. The word of God is living and active and is sharper than a two-edged sword. You will not keep in step with the spirit if you are completely out of step with the book that he wrote. And he is the author of the Bible. This is God's book. Think about what Christians, think about what we say we believe. We say that this book right here, that is in almost every home in our country, and certainly in every home probably represented here, is a book written by God. And it's without error. And he spoke it directly to, and he speaks directly to us. Second Peter 1 says that human authors like Paul and Peter and Moses, all these people, that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote scripture. So they wrote it, right? They were inspired, but they were carried by the Spirit of God. It was the Holy Spirit behind them who is the divine author of the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All of Scripture is breathed out by God. This book that we say is authored by the Holy Spirit is not some benign book or merely a love letter from God, as I've heard some people say. No, no. Ephesians 6 says it is a sword. It is a sword of the Spirit. And you and I should never come to a sword fight with a butter knife. Bad idea. We want to bring a sword. And we've been given one. So read your Bibles. And learn, and this is just kind of a, a thought that came to my mind, and learn to read it right. And, and learn to read all of it. Um, don't read your Bible like it's a genie's bottle. You guys know how that goes? Ever heard that, this example? This guy comes to the Bible, and this is how he usually reads his Bible. So he just kind of opens up to some random spot, puts his finger down, and reads that verse or that chapter. And so he would open up his Bible and put his finger down and got, came to the verse that said, and Judas went and hanged himself. And he's like, okay, let's try two out of three here. He turns to another spot, puts his finger down, go and do likewise. He's like, okay, this isn't working out so well. Goes to another spot, says, whatever you do, do quickly. Okay, don't read your Bible like that, okay? Not a good way to read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read it for understanding. Study it. Read it for transformation. Ask Holy Spirit, show me what this is saying. Help me make sense of this. Use this to change my life. Number two, practice the presence of the Holy Spirit. For many Christians, the Holy Spirit is known doctrinally, but not personally. For many, there is no experience or knowledge of the Holy Spirit's actual presence in their life. David, in Psalm 139, is overwhelmingly aware of God's presence. I can't go anywhere and get away from it. And this is prior to the New Covenant. This is prior, this is prior to the Holy Spirit being poured out on God's church. 
Richard Lovelace, in his book, Dynamics of a Spiritual Life, which is a fantastic book, said this, the typical relationship between believers and the Holy Spirit in today's church is too often like that between the husband and wife in a bad marriage. They live under the same roof, and the husband makes constant use of the wife's services, but he fails to communicate with her, recognize her presence, and celebrate their relationship. So how do we counter this? Well, we, we want to practice recognizing the Holy Spirit as a real person, because he is, and as a real person who really lives in us, because if we believe in Christ, he really does, and as someone who really wants to lead us because he really does. Jesus said he'll lead you and guide you into all the truth. As someone who really is there to help us because he is, he is called the helper. As someone who's really there to teach us because he is, he's called the counselor. So to counter this, we should make deliberate effort daily to recognize the Holy Spirit, Spirit, the, the person of the Holy Spirit, and move into the light concerning his real, powerful, and personal presence. We should do what David does in Psalm 16 when he says, I always put the Lord before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Number three, we need to confess and repent. We need to confess and repent. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity, and as such, he can be sinned against and he is sinned against. In fact, the New Testament uses two words to describe how we sin against the Holy Spirit. And I think there's nuanced differences between them. Um, probably not can get into it here today. But Ephesians 4 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. As a person who can be grieved. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. I've been on this kick lately, I suppose, when I'm in conversations with people and in my own life, I just, I've, I've realized that for a lot of my Christian life, just moment by moment, repentance and confession has not been part of it. And sometimes I wonder why it seems like God is distant. And it's not that we lose forgiveness, right? It's free. It's forever. It is, it's final. But as a person that we want to relate with, not just in some legal way, but in a very intimate and personal way. When we sin against God, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we should come to him and confess. Just say what I did was sin and repent and turn from it. And I even urge you this morning to do so. For the ways that you just right now are aware not saying, I'm not saying go digging deep, deep into your soul. I'm saying just for ways that you're aware right now. Ways that you're, you're aware of, of how you have grieved the Holy Spirit. When I grieve my wife, I cannot go on as though nothing happened. Much more with the Holy Spirit. Number four, remind yourself, you are not your own any longer. This is like Christianity 101, but 
I need to be reminded of this, and I need to remind myself often of this. But our passage here says in verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus, to belong to Christ Jesus is a phrase of possession. We are his now, and therefore we are not our own anymore. If you are a Christian, you have been taken out of the dead tree of Adam's race, right? Adam was our first father. He sinned in the garden. We were all born sinners because of him. You've been taken out of that and you've been planted in Jesus. And you now belong to him. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to Christ now. And the moment, or I should say, it's not like we, it's not like it's once for all thing, but when we realize that, live in that more and more, it frees us to the transforming work of God's Spirit because we're not trying to hold on to our lives as though it is something that belongs to us any longer. It doesn't. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. To deny yourself and take up your cross daily, it just means to die every day to realize daily I'm not my own I belong to another number five count it joy when you endure hardship and sufferings how do we fight we fight by counting it joy in the midst of difficulties because we know that God is at work. I, I, think, I think we often short-circuit the transforming power of the Spirit when our response to trials is one of incessant murmuring and complaining. We short-circuit God's transforming work when we only see trials as bad and something to get rid of immediately. They are hard for sure. And I know some of you are going through incredible things that are painful enough that you feel crushed. We should pray for relief and we should also count it joy because we know that God is at work in it. Changing us, molding us into the image of Christ like God with this, his chisel, you know, getting rid of all the pieces that shouldn't be there so he can sculpt something beautiful. That's what James 1 tells us. It says, my brothers, count it all joy when you endure various trials, trials of all different kinds, big and small, relational and physical, all of them, count it joy. Recently, I read a couple of short biographies about Adoniram Judson and John Patton, two missionaries. Judson went to Burma, he and his family. Patton was in New Hebrides Islands off, I think, southeast of Australia back in the 1800s. And I was stunned <laughs> by how much these men suffered. I mean, incredibly. Judson lost two wives. They died. And six out of 13 children. 
John Patton was almost constantly chased by the tribal people there, and they wanted to kill him. I mean, like for years, not for a week, but for years. But the trials that these men went through make the story, right? And the trials they went through made the men who they were. We, as a family, read the the, uh, biography of Mary Slessor. She was a missionary to um, Africa, I think Nigeria. Same thing. Her suffering was incredible, but it made her who she was. It made her this incredibly powerful woman for Christ and for his kingdom. The Apostle Paul, his resume was as full of suffering, imprisonments, shipwrecks, as it was of triumphs in ministry. And so we should count it all joy when we go through hardship. James 1 goes on to say, because we know that God is producing in us endurance, perseverance, patience, these kinds of things. Sounds like the fruit of the Spirit, right? Romans 8 says, you and I were predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ, to which we all should say, if we are Christians, amen. That's what I want. I want to be like Christ. Let's celebrate this and submit to it. Let's praise God for the promise as well as pursue it by faith and the power of his Holy Spirit. Let's pick up ourselves in his strength and let's fight. Let's fight. Let's become men and women who are militant in this world that we live in. We want to live for Christ. When we see things going on in our nation and around the world with ISIS beheading people and marriage trying to be redefined and all of these things, what does the world need to see? Christians who look like Christians. People who believe in Christ empowered by his spirit, changed into his likeness, being conformed to Christ. That's what they need to see. That's what the world needs to see through you and I. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that on the one hand, transformation is inevitable because you began a good work, you will bring it to completion. But on the other hand, God, it, it is not, it's not going to be done in such a way where we are just Uh, passive bystanders. And so, God, I pray that you would uh, work this truth into us, that we would both celebrate your work in us by your Holy Spirit and also realize that we are called to walk by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, which means we fight. We take up the sword of the Spirit. We deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Christ. We remember certain truths. Um, God, help us, I pray. We count it all joy when we go through trials and difficulties because we're holding on to that truth that you are at work in it and through it. God, I pray that over the course of 
the next weeks and months and years in homes, there would be massive transformations taking place. In our church, God, we would be more and more conformed to Christ in a very evident kind of way that you would be glorified and honored, that you would be magnified, Jesus, that you would be seen in us and through us in the way that we love and the things that we rejoice in and the fact that we, are, that we have peace and we are spreading peace and in that we are patient, long-suffering. We are self-controlled. We are, goodness is growing in us. We love what is good and hate what is evil. We're growing in kindness and just the rough edges and sharpness that we can be prone to is just being shed off. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and do this work in us and strengthen us and empower us to participate with you. I pray in Jesus' strong name. Amen. May the Lord bless you today and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace and give you a fight in you. I think of David said in one of the Psalms, I can't remember exactly where it's at, he trains my hands for war. May he train train your hands for the battle ahead this next week. You're dismissed.